I was trying that old pastor's trick where you kind of go with your tongue and you see if you hear it to hear if you're on before you start. Okay, that's an old pastor's trick and now you know what I'm doing. Okay. Well, kids, guess what? You get to go have tons of fun, but you're going to miss it. We're going to learn about Jesus here too, but I get you guys are going to do it too. So, bye you all. Have a good time. We love you. We bless you in the name of Jesus as you go. We are so grateful for our kids and for the people they're growing to be. I'm thrilled that this church really believes in their kids and letting them grow up into who they're supposed to be, even leading us in various times in worship. So I'm Michelle, Michelle Knight, if you don't know me. I'm married to the guy playing the electric guitar this morning. I got four kids. I'm a nurse. You kind of know some of my story. Um, And it's my privilege to get to open God's word for you. Um, I won't lie, I always get a little nervous, so I'll start and my voice will be a little shaky, but then as we get going, God shows up, and I am excited about what he's got for us today. So, um, I just was not here last week. If you weren't here last week either, raise your hand. Okay, so if you were with me last weekend, keep your hand up. Whoop, 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 all my girls. We were at a women's retreat, the second annual Um, LA District Church of the Nazarene Women's Retreat. If you didn't go, you missed out. We had a great time. Um, And we heard from a Nazarene Baptist preacher by the name of Janine, what's her last name? I can't think of it. Metcalf, Metcalf, there we go. That lady could bring it. She would stand up there just a bouncing, right? Just like a little cheerleader when she would get moving. And oh, it was good. And so today I'm going to copy just a little bit of what she did. They're working to put in the passages. We kind of had a little wire crossing and they didn't realize we were going to read the scriptures together. They'll give me a head nod when they're ready. Oh, they're good. Okay. So this morning we're going to stand like we always do and we're going to read God's word. It's in Luke 9. Before you stand, I'm going to tell you what she would say. She would say, as we stand, will you present yourselves to God? Will you let the living and active word of God have his way in you? And it's not just the standing in respect. It's that standing expecting God to work. So if you'll stand, we are going to read together out of Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 28. We're going to go all the way through to 43 um, B, or A rather. And I'm going to say at the end, Thanks, or this is the living word of God, and you're going to say thanks be to God. So, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. 
my dearly loved son, listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. This is the living and very active word of the Lord. You may be seated. Miracles and miraculous places. Have you experienced them? Early in our marriage, Scott and I visited a miraculous chapel. It stuck in my mind so much that I took our kids back when they were um, in elementary school so they could visit and experience it too. Loretta Chapel is a small chapel in Santa Fe, um, New Mexico. And we have a slide, there we go. Um, it's a small Gothic chapel built in 1873 and it looks really different than all the adobe style buildings. If you can imagine having been to Santa Fe, it looks really different than that. But the miraculous part is that staircase that's inside. As it was being built, the architect died while it was being constructed, and there was no stairway. The chapel is small, and the loft is really high off the ground, and those poor nuns, they didn't like to climb ladders, so they said, we need a, a staircase. But it was too high and too small to have a traditional staircase, so they started to pray. And they did a nine-day-long novena. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a nine-day prayers. You have special services and prayers to ask God for um, a mighty work. On the ninth day, the story says, a man, an unknown man, showed up with very simple tools, a hammer and a square. And with these two things, he built what is now known as the miraculous staircase. There's no supporting center post. Now they've added the railings on the side to keep people safe as they go up and down. And it's got a couple of attachments to the wall so that it doesn't vibrate from all the traffic that goes by now. But there are no metal nails that hold it together. It's just wooden pieces. And the wood, they say, is not native to the American Southwest. And when the staircase was completed, the carpenter disappeared without receiving thanks or payment. The sisters tried all the local places to see who built it, but they never found who built it. Some say it was St. Joseph, and if you know, he is the patron saint of carpenters. Some say it was just someone sent by God. I'm telling you this story this morning because sometimes it seems a little unrealistic when we think about a miraculous place like that. In our 20th century, we look online and say, what are the real facts? Is this really true? But for sure, the Sisters of Loretto prayed, 
and their prayers were answered in a very surprising way. Maybe you've been to a place that feels miraculous like this. Maybe you've been to a cathedral or been to a Christian camp or a spiritual retreat. Maybe you're on a mountain or at the beach and suddenly you had this experience of God showing up. Ancient Celtic Christian people would call these places thin places. It's a place where the distance between the world, our world and the eternal world, is very thin. It's a place where we can encounter the sacred and it doesn't take us very long to get there. Heaven and earth, the Celtic saying goes, are only three feet apart. But in thin places, the distance is even shorter. I like that. This passage today we're looking at is definitely a story of a thin place. A place in which heaven and earth interact together. Now we've been in the season of Epiphany. Nine weeks we have been thinking about what the season of Epiphany is. We've been focusing on making Jesus known, seeing the revelation of who Jesus is. Eight weeks ago, James started our series with um, the baptism of Christ, and it was also an account of a thin place in Jesus' life. He was praying and being baptized, and God descended and spoke. And in there, um, in that speaking to Jesus, God the Father said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And in these last seven weeks, we've worked our way through different revelations about Jesus, Aaron preached about his miraculous changing water into wine. And Danny preached about Jesus calling us to be fishers of men. And the last two weeks, James has taught about the Sermon on the Mount and how it shows us the very heart of Christ, the very revelation of the things that are important to him. Today's our last Sunday in the season of Epiphany, and we get to see Jesus in a whole new light, a white like lightning light. Our epiphany study started with God's words, and it ends with God's words today about Jesus. Today we will see God speaking, and we'll see eternal realities being visible. Miraculous healing and deliverance, too. What a great Sunday. Traditionally, this Sunday is called the Sunday of Transfiguration. Now, As we started and read that story, you may go, I know this story, I've heard it in Sunday school, Jesus changes into white, yeah, yeah, Moses, Elijah, they're there too, disciples sleeping, what's new? But I don't want us to go, check, I know that. Um, I found myself thinking about those details and having those same kind of questions as the Loretta Chapel. The passage makes us pause and ask, what do I believe? What do I believe? We believe. What do you believe? Today, as we look at this passage, I want us to allow this passage to open our eyes to Jesus as he truly is, to get a fresh revelation and epiphany. So, our passage opens with Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. The passage doesn't say for sure, but it's probably Mount Hermon. And Jesus took them there to pray. Now, we've known as we've been studying along that Jesus often would go away um, on the mountain to pray. It was his way of creating that thin space where he would connect with God, his heavenly Father. Well, while praying, Peter, John, and James fell asleep. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I might have done the same thing. When I'm done working and I come home, sometimes I'm like, I'm tired. I ran 10 miles yesterday in preparation for the half marathon. When I came home, I was tired. If I had climbed a mountain yesterday, I'd have fallen asleep too. Well, and verse 29 tells us that Jesus was transformed. That word is the same word that we use in the Greek, metamorph. It's like that butterfly that you studied in science. That internal DNA of the caterpillar gets changed into this butterfly. And in this passage, Jesus is metamorphed. He is transformed. He is transfigured into his real person. And what is that person? It is described here that his clothes, his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzlingly white. I dare you to say that ten times fast. He was transformed. Now, about two weeks ago, I had a small retinal tear in my eye. Blah, blah, blah. You know, what can you say? It was kind of affecting my vision, and so I went and I saw the doctor. I get to the doctor's office. They put those drops in. Have you ever had your eyes examined and they dilate your eye really big? You know how the lights look really bright? And he said, yeah, we're going to have to laser that. So I'm like, okay, I'm a nurse. I kind of know what that entails. He says, yeah, okay, come on in here. We're going to get you set up. They have this little machine. He says, put your chin here, lean up against the bar. And he says, okay, now I'm going to laser, and it's going to be really bright lights. So I'm sitting there, and it is really bright, like lightning white, bright light, over and over and over in my eyes there, using that laser to close off that retinal tear. Of course, I'm thinking about preaching, and I'm sitting there thinking, huh, I wonder if this is what Jesus looked like when he was transfigured. Sorry. And afterwards, the doctor said, okay, we're done. You can sit back. He said, now, i got to tell you, you're going to see pink. Everything's going to be pink, and then it's going to look gray. I'm like, pink and gray, really? Sure enough. And I really couldn't see much of what was around me when that laser first closed off because I had been so dazzlingly, there it is, bright. Like lightning bright. So this shining of Jesus that day would have been bright too, and it would have left their eyes seeing pink. And when it was gone, they would have had that Hebrew mindset to think, huh, this is the Shekinah glory of God, like the Old Testament. When Moses went to the mountain and he met God, he would have seen the Shekinah glory, this bright, hot, white, glorious vision of who God was. Our story goes on and it tells us two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in verse 31. And it says that they were glorious to see as well. And they were talking with Jesus about his exodus, about his departure from the world. I like to give you guys art to look at so that if you get bored listening, you can look at art. And I love some of the art from the world. And I love that art and music and poetry reach into our souls in ways that my spoken word never can. And so even if nothing else, look at the pictures. And so here's one done by an artist in Cancun. And so why Moses and Elijah? Why were they the ones that came to talk with Christ? No one knows really for sure, but some of the reading I did suggested a few different possibilities. Moses and Elijah represent the Old Testament law and prophets. And because they're talking to Jesus, it represents that he was the fulfillment of that. 
Moses and Elijah had also both seen God in very real ways. They knew what it was like to look at God and talk to him. Like I said, Moses on the mountain, and Elijah got to see the glory of God when it passed before him, and he was hidden in the cave. And the other thing about Moses and Elijah is they both had kind of unusual deaths. In fact, Elijah didn't die. He got taken to heaven in a flaming chariot. And a Moses, it was said, um, was buried by God, and they never found where he was buried. So these two men kind of knew what it was like to have an unusual death experience. We don't know why Moses and Elijah were the ones talking to him, but the passage does say that they were talking about Jesus' exodus, his upcoming departure from earth, which would be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Now, um, we kind of mentioned as we were reading our story that the disciples were sleeping. They awoke from their sleep, and here is Jesus looking like whitening light transformed and those two glorious men and they recognized them as Moses and Elijah. Peter is astonished. Did you like that in verse 33 when um, Peter wakes up suddenly and he's looking around and he realizes what's going on and not even knowing what he was saying he blurted out, right? Isn't that just like Peter? And isn't that just like us? We don't always know what to do when God shows up. We don't know what to say. But Peter looks and he says, Let's build three tents. Let's put up memorials, one for you, Moses, and Elijah. And for Peter, he was looking for Jesus to take on this powerful ministry, right? He wanted Jesus to come in and overturn the um, Roman rule. He wanted to be set free. And here, finally, Jesus is showing his true stuff his true colors. And Peter's like, let's build a church. Let's have a place we can go and meet with God. He kind of got it wrong, but his heart was good. We want constant access to the glory and majesty of Jesus, says Peter. But even as they were talking, the story tells us, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them. Now, it's not a fearful terror. It's an awe terror, right? Um, it would be the experience that God was present. And from this cloud that overshadowed them, the voice of God came. This is my son, my chosen one, my dearly loved one, says one of the other translations. And it says, listen to him. It echoes those same words that James preached about at the start, at Jesus' baptism. Now, we studied it in seven weeks, but in Jesus' life, it would have been three years about, give or take, from the time he heard those first words spoken by his father until he heard these words again. Three years. One of the interesting things, too, about this passage is three witnesses. In the Old Testament, to make something legal, you would have three witnesses. So if you were accused of a crime, three witnesses would come forward either to accuse you or to prove your innocence. And the same would be true if you were buying a piece of property and making a legal transaction. You would want those three witnesses to prove the purchase of that property. In this story, we have three witnesses. We have these spiritual witnesses, Moses, Elijah, and God the Father. And to those three disciples that were there, it would have been like, wow, this is the Christ, the fulfillment. We also have the three witnesses, 
Peter, John, and James. And it says there in that last little bit of um, verse number 36, they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. But I think it's so fascinating that God in his wisdom provided three witnesses to us. And there's an interesting verse in 1 Peter. I happen to have it up on the screen for you guys to read. And it's going to say, for, this is Peter, he's writing to the church locally, and he says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. Today, as we're thinking about what we believe, we have three witnesses that attested to this transfiguration of Jesus. They testify to the hearing of God's voice speaking from that cloud. It gives us security to put our faith in that. The story is significant, for sure. And it's why today is Transfiguration Sunday. It reminds us that we aren't following cleverly invented stories. Now there's three things that, as I was thinking about this story, um, kind of stuck out to me and I want us to talk about them. The first place that I see it sort of applying to us in our modern day is looking at the last little phrase of God's words to those three disciples. He says, this is my son, listen to him. Peter, James, and John heard those words, and I think it's important, especially for someone who's young. Now, it's important for all of us, but for someone who's young. Maybe you're young in your faith, or maybe you're young in age. And sometimes I think we look for all of our answers by um, going to the internet. We look for answers in the classes we attend. We look for answers from maybe our parents, um, a wise counselor, or our circle of friends. And I think God's words here are so significant. This is my son, listen to him. And how often do we first of all listen to the words of Christ? Kind of a good thought. Turn to his instructions first and be like him in your actions. Well, the slide, the story moves on. And um, let's go to the next one if you don't mind. Thank you. This is one of those famous paintings, and on the top you can see the transfiguration of Christ. This was painted by the famous artist Raphael. Um, but on the bottom, what I love is that he has captured both halves of our story today. He's got the demon-possessed boy in the foreground and the transfigured Christ, and he ties it together. Sometimes our Bibles divide that up, um, and it puts that heading on it, Jesus heals a demon-possessed, and we think, okay, new story. No, nope, same story. Jesus and the three came down from the mountain. They're met by a huge crowd. And a man in the crowd calls out to Jesus. We just read this. Heal my only son. And the son had what sounds like seizures, right? But the Bible tells us there that it was caused by a demon. And um, it batters him and it covers him with bruises. And this father wants relief for his son. And I think it's interesting that he brought his son to the disciples while Jesus was up on the mountain and his disciples couldn't do anything. 
Now, earlier in Luke, just this earlier in chapter 9, they had gone out and they had been involved healing. So it's not unexpected for this father to bring his son to the disciples and say, please heal him. But what is really interesting is when Jesus hears this, his response is, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? This sounds so harsh to me at the first listen. How about you? The disciples had tried to cast him out. They had believed enough to try, but it hadn't worked. Was Jesus criticizing them for failing? One of the authors I read this week said it was um, Jesus feeling frustrated because the day before he had been up on that mountain having that superhuman, um, extra supernatural, earth meets heaven kind of an experience, right? He'd talked with Moses and Elijah. He'd been in his glorified real form, and he'd been spoken to by his father. And the next day, he comes and finds someone who wasn't healed. And it was that he was frustrated. Maybe you know how this feels. Have you ever been on a retreat or read a really great book, and you're like, oh, I could use this at work, or I could use this at home? And you go home from the retreat, or you go home from, or you go back to reading the book, and you're suddenly like, what's wrong with these people? How come they're not getting it too? And, and you sort of feel that frustration of that, ugh, it stopped. The progress has stopped. It can cause you to feel frustrated because you aren't moving forward at all. And this may be, have been how Jesus felt. And it was like Jesus is saying is here, when will you see me for who I really am? When will you really know me and believe and act in that reality? He isn't mad at the people. He wants them to have the understanding and belief. Okay. I didn't have time to create this online poll that I could send out to all of you, so we're going to have a little mini poll right here, right here now. And you're going you're gonna to answer my questions by doing this. I'm not going to have you raise your hand and we're all looking around to see all the answers, but you're going to just kind of finger to nose if the answer, if this is your answer. Okay, you ready? First question. And leave them up there until I tell you to put them down. Because I get to look around. That's a really good thing. Has God ever spoken to you, either directly or through a strong sense, or even like a highlighter, right, straight from the Bible? Okay, no, no, okay, finger down. Now, have you or someone in your family... Um, or someone you've known personally had a miraculous healing? Mm. There's some good stories here, James. Okay, last question. Have you ever prayed or asked for a miracle and been left waiting? Mm. Fingers down. I read the other gospel accounts in Mark um, and Matthew as I prepared for this. And it's that's sort of the sense of it. Have, have we been left waiting for that answer? And this father is like, what do I do? These disciples couldn't do it. He's been left waiting. And in that pain and in that place, he says to Jesus in the chapter in Mark, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is the second point I want to make. I'm 52, and I'm in the middle game of my life. Chances are I have a lot of years ahead of me, maybe not. Um, and I've walked with Christ since I was five, so that's, what, 47 years. 
Um, and I've seen God do some amazing things, really, and I've had him answer prayers and all of that. But sometimes, right now in this middle game, I'm finding that I don't feel like my faith is enough. Like it's been ineffective. Like I've heard God speak and I've prayed, but God hasn't moved like I thought he would. He hasn't healed like I wanted him to. There are times like these disciples that I don't see the healing. I don't see results. Well, Jesus tells this father, bring your son here. He rebuked the spirit, he healed the boy, and he gave him back to his father. Verse 43 says, awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display. And that's why this story is part of the Transfiguration Sunday and the end of Epiphany. Personal experience of the awe because they saw God's majestic power. Jesus is still at work. That little poll we just took encourages me that God does speak and has spoken to many of us, that he's worked miracles in many of us, and the story reminds us he will again. He healed not because he was disappointed or angry at the disciples' lack of faith. He healed because he's Jesus, and it's what he does This was God's majestic display of power. For those of you who are here today and you're in that middle game of life with me, we need to echo that prayer of faith that that father said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We need to know God's still in the business of delivering and healing. We need to move in faith, believing that transfigured Jesus is real and active. Last slide. This last picture of the transfiguration is my favorite. Um, I love the bright light quality of it. I love the mysterious and spiritual feeling of it. Not a scary, mysterious one, but one that's life-giving and full of light. And I want you to look at it while I talk about the last point I want to make. I want to go back to the observation that when Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus, They were talking with Jesus about his exodus, about his way he was going to leave this this earth. Now, there aren't any specifics of the conversation listed in this passage. Um, We don't get the details. What is encouraging and important to know is that God does not leave Jesus alone in this. Our modern culture doesn't like to talk about death. And this reality is that some of us here or people that we know are reaching the end of their lives and this is a great comfort passage for us because God did not leave Jesus alone he sent Moses and Elijah to talk to him to tell him about the exodus maybe Jesus was praying during that time about his own questions and fears Maybe the appearance of Moses and Elijah were direct answers to that prayer. God does not leave us alone without answers, even as we anticipate our own exodus from this world. The glorious and transformed Jesus knows how it feels to face and experience his own death. He knows what eternity feels like, And he knows how to walk with us through this process. Today, the season of Epiphany closes. 
We see from the text this glorious revelation of Jesus' true nature, this bright, shining, eternal nature. We hear God speak. We see Jesus heal and deliver. And I come back to the question I asked at the beginning. What do I believe? What do we believe? What do you believe? Do we believe in the transformed Jesus? Do we believe God's words of instruction to listen to him? Do I believe God is still in the business of doing miracles, even when I don't see it? Do I believe God will be involved in the end of my life? This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate communion, to share what's sometimes called the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving for Jesus. It's a thanksgiving to Jesus for what he has done and what he's continuing to do. In the communion, there is the holding of the physical bread and the physical juice. It reminds us that Jesus had a physical body and he had literal blood in his vein, just like we do. And on this last day of Epiphany, we also recognize that Jesus is mysterious, glorious, and transfigured to his eternal and dazzling self. There is a spiritual reality that we experience when we come to the communion table. It's not just physical, but it is spiritual as well. In the Anglican tradition, there is part of the Eucharist that I appreciate so much. As the bread and wine are about to be given, a priest will say, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Today we're invited to eat the physical bread and juice and to remember. And we're invited to experience a spiritual feast and to find at this table a thin place where we can have an encounter with the living Jesus. I'm gonna close our time in a word of prayer in just a minute. And when I pray, James is gonna come up. He's gonna get ready to lead us in the communion service time. We're gonna have our um, worship team come forward as well. Um, if you're gonna help serve, I want you to come up as well. Maybe sit up here in the front so that you can be served first before um, the rest of people do. But as we're waiting for them to kind of make their way and as I'm praying, ask God to have this moment be a thin place for you. Ask yourself, what do I believe? And in this moment, recommit to believe in the living and transformed Jesus. So God our Father, we invite you. Jesus, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. As we come to this communion, this Eucharist, this great thanksgiving, may it be for us a thin place. God, build our faith like that song said this morning. As we lift our hands in praise, will you build our faith? We want a fresh encounter with you, Jesus, in these moments. We thank you for being the transformed and glorious Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.